0: as long as God was there. That's, that's all he wanted. And that's who God chooses because God looks at a heart that's after him. God looks at a heart that is in pursuit of him. And the only heart that's are pursuing God are humble people. So God is looking to share his power with people. But he can't share his people, power with people that aren't humble because the power that he gives them will end up destroying them. And this is the difference between Saul and David. Saul got the power, but didn't have the character to walk in that kingly anointing. David has the character to walk in the kingly anointing, and so he's able to walk in it and further God's kingdom. So David didn't ask to be anointed, but he gets anointed, and then immediately his brothers are against him. Everybody seems to be against him. He goes and even serves a king with no motives of his own in mind, but just being faithful unto Saul. And then Saul can't stand him. Um, Saul, the only relief Saul got was through King David. King David would, you know, play the guitar. And then the demonic oppression would lift from Saul. So Saul was in such a weird place because the only relief he got was from God's anointed. But then to acknowledge God's anointed would mean that he would have to acknowledge that he wasn't anointed. Even though the anointing wasn't from David, it was from God. (laughs) So what God will do in choosing different people is he'll stir up a jealousy in you by choosing someone other than you to see if you can handle God picking somebody other than you. That is good. (laughs) This is the Holy Ghost, man. Yeah, so, the, so this is what God's election does. God's choosing stirs up the jealousy in someone else to reveal their heart to them. Yeah. So they have to say, I either repent of my jealousy and turn the same anger I have towards them, towards my own sin, and repent unto God. Or I allow that anger to consume me and I have a murderous, jealous spirit that wants to take down God's anointed. So God electing or choosing someone is an exclusion. And that's why we get scared of it. The election, what are you saying? God chooses some and doesn't choose others? Well, yeah, he does it all the time. But he chooses others to stir the jealousy up in us so that we might repent and say, okay, God, I agree with your choice. Yeah. So what do you do when God chooses the one you didn't want to be there? Yikes. Mm. So why is God doing with that choosing? Revealing your heart. Reveal your heart. Can you get your head around me choosing somebody that maybe is even better, that's less than you are? Just because I want to, because I'm God. And that's why God chooses the Gentiles. To stir up jealousy in the Jews where they might say, where is the love that we once had? It's never to exclude, it's always to include. It's always to include. The problem is, is the one that gets chosen, man, has to deal with the brunt of being chosen. And has to walk in love while people that didn't choose him can't understand why God did. Yeah, that's hard. It's hard to do it. And so, can we allow people to come against us when we know we're chosen, but they don't agree that we should have been? Because how else can we show the love of God unless we receive rejection? So, God calls us into the fellowship of his sufferings so that we would know how he felt and... We would have the opportunity to press into the grace to say, Yeah, I get you, God. And so, yeah, so that's the rub. So, David is in that point, and so he's playing, you know, his guitar and playing his worship. And, you know, Saul's getting relief, but then Saul's like, Wait a second. If I'm getting relief and I'm the king, what does that make him? So Saul grabs a spear and tries to pin him to the wall. Wow. David has to like jump out a window, I think it says. Is that right? He jumps out the window. I looked to Wayne. Oh, I was Wayne, back me up here. <laughs> Wayne's my Bible guy. He jumps out the window and runs for his life. So David's run for his life. So he's anointed king of a people that won't acknowledge he's the king of the people. What a pickle, man. And then God says, oh, yeah, and walk in love while you're doing that. <laughs> Thanks, God. <laughs> yeah, so he's got to walk in love while that's going on. So his own people won't receive him, even though he's anointed by God as their king. And so he drifts into his enemy's territory and starts hanging out with the Philistines. <laughs> But then he's scared there because what if they recognize I'm the one that killed Goliath? <laughs> and guess what? They recognize him. So his own people don't recognize him, and his enemies do recognize the anointing that's on his life. Okay. Yeah. And many times the world will recognize an anointing on somebody way before the church will. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we know this guy. So God gives him a crazy plan. They're going to kill me because they know who I am. So David, maybe Holy Spirit inspired, probably, could be. He writes about it like it was a great victory. He does what any normal person would do. He starts acting crazy. He starts beating his head against the gate and slobbering all over himself. And acting like he's crazy. See, there's some seasons where you're going to have to act a little bit crazy in some scenarios to get out with your life. Yeah. So, he's acting crazy. And you know what the king says? Why did you bring another crazy person to me? Don't I have enough crazy people? Get this guy out of here. So, David escapes with his life. Backed and crazy, but he feels like he's a man with no home. And when God's anointing's on you, you're going to feel like sometimes there's no home for you. Or the enemies want you to leave and the people you're anointed over don't want you there either. Wow. How do you walk that out? I don't know. I don't know how you walk it out. A lot of grace. So David is in that particular position, man with no home. Don't belong here and don't belong there. What do I do? But when David escapes with his life, he does what anybody should do when they're in that situation. He writes a praise song unto God (laughs) that says, I don't understand what's going on, but I know you understand what's going on. And so I'm going to just praise you with all that's within me because that's what's gotten me this far. When the lion was in the field and the bear was in the field, it was a praise song that I wrote that delivered me and gave me an expression in the earth to the goodness and the greatness of God. So that's what David does. He writes writes a praise song and that's what Psalm 34 is. Now, before he runs into Abimelech, I think it's, I want to say it's 1 Samuel 21. We're We're not going to read that, but I think that's just where the address is. But he goes to the priests of Nob, and David's hungry. How can you be anointed king and still hungry? A king that's hungry. That sounds familiar. Sounds like Jesus. And David's hungry, and so he goes to the priests that are in Nob says, hey, man, I need some bread. What you got? You got some hot dog buns? You got some stale? What do you, what do you got? David gets hit with this answer that we don't have anything common. It's all sacred. You got this showbread. Now, if you were to eat the showbread unworthily, the thought was you're going to die. But you know what David did? I'll risk it. Seems like me and God's on good terms here. <laughs> and he knows I'm hungry. So, David eats the showbread against the law, and he's full. So, here, God's given him sacred bread and then delivered him from the hands of his enemies. And so, that's the background of Psalm 34. So, now when we read it, it might make a little sense of the things that, of why he's so excited. Of, uh, of what God had done in his life. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will praise the Lord at all times. My mouth will continually praise him. I will boast in the Lord. Let the oppressed hear and rejoice. Magnify the Lord with me. And let's praise his name. Together. Now, there's something really cool about this word magnify, because when I read that, I think of a magnifying glass, right? I think of a, of a magnifying glass that makes something look really, really big. Now, I don't know if they had magnifying glass in the big biblical days. Maybe they had something that would magnify something. But in the original language, it, it kind of comes from this Akkadian Arabic kind of word that really means to bind, to wrestle Or to tie together. So the picture there of that that word in the original language, magnify, would be like braiding a cord to make it stronger. In other words, making a braid to create something that can hold the weight and the tension of something else. So the word there, magnify, was actually be braided. So the picture there to me is magnify the Lord with me is let the Lord be so entangled with my life that I don't know where he ends and I begin and where I end and he begins. And the New Testament reality would be abide in me while i abide in you. It's, it's this abiding thing. It's that God wants to wrap his life around our life so that we can make him look big in every situation. So just picture yourself as a magnifying glass. And everywhere you go, you're to magnify and show how big God really is. And so if you're in a problem or a circumstance... We magnify God. He's so wrapped in my life that this situation or this circumstance is not going to keep me from doing what my duty is to do. And that duty is to magnify and show how big God is. And when he's wrapped in my life like that, I can handle the tensions of people not understanding my calling and my anointing. And then I can also walk in the reality of my enemies not understanding either because my goal is not for people to understand me my goal is to make God look big so that they say I want to make God look big too and so it's hard because you want to be understood and you want to be heard but not everybody's going to understand and not everybody's going to hear But if I'm tangled up in God, then everywhere I go, he looks big. And I can't help the response of others when I make God look big. Because somebody might be trying to pin me to the wall over here. But I guarantee you, there's some others that will find me in a cave somewhere and say, I want to go where you're going. Magnify The Lord with me. Make the Lord look big. Because God has a vested interest in our life. And that's why David said, Lead me into paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Because I know when I'm looking good, I'm making you look good. Yeah. And so that's what God is calling us to, and that's where David's just kind of working out this wrestling with God, this binding with God, this process of, that I'm going through is, am I going to let God tangle his character and his ways in me, or am I going to untangle God out and get bitter and mad and upset and walk away from him altogether? See, I'm going to get tangled up either way, and I can get tangled up in the world or I can get tangled up in God. I love what, uh, I think it was Timothy says, don't get entangled in the affairs of this world. That a good soldier gets entangled in what the real battle is. And what's the real battle? Walking in love and giving God glory with your life. Yeah. So where are we getting tangled up? What is tangling us? Magnify the Lord. Get tangled up in God where people just see him in you. And he's evident in everything. Help, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Verse 5, look to him and be radiant. Do not let your faces be ashamed. This oppressed man cried out, and the Lord heard. He saved him from all his troubles. Now this is where it really starts getting... Because David is experiencing this. This is unraveling before his eyes. This isn't like, I'm writing this praise song, but i really never experienced any trials. Uh, He's not writing these things from a distance. He's writing these things real time as he's experiencing uh, these moments. And so, so watch this. This is where it gets really cool. The angel of the Lord camps... Around the Lord's loyal followers and delivers them. Whoa, okay. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I think that's a reference back to the bread, the the off-limits bread that he got to enjoy. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the one who takes shelter in him. So the angel of the Lord, this is really what really struck me in this psalm, was that the angel of the Lord, in in ancient thinking, when they had idols, the idol wasn't the God himself. The idol was a uh, a physical object that they could refer to to conjure up the spirit of the deity. So it would be like something physical that would get the ball rolling, but then to call the spirit of something in there. And the angel of the Lord reality with God is a physical representation of God himself that would call people into that same dialogue that would know God was there. The difference between God's version and the ancient version was, is God's version was an angel of the Lord. In other words, God's version is a living man in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwelled. Who does that sound like? Jesus. So when we see these pictures of the angel of the Lord throughout the Old Testament, these, I believe, and we can get into this later, are pre incarnate appearances of Jesus Christ himself. So what's Jesus saying? Uh, God is telling us through this is that I'm not confined to things made with hands. However, I do have a physical representation of myself on the earth in which I dwell fully that can bring you into the reality of the spirit of who I am. So here, I've always read it like this. First time I've ever seen it. And I've read it a hundred times. I've always said it like this. Angels encamp around those who who fear the Lord and love them. But it doesn't say angels. It says the angel of the Lord camps. So David is coming into this understanding of the goodness of God. Why? So that he'll understand how good God is so that when he gets in a risky situation, he's not afraid to make God look big and magnify him the way he deserves. And this is what God is calling us into. He's revealing to us through his death on the cross, through Jesus' life, through his Holy Spirit drawing us in. He's revealing to us how good he is. Why? So that we will live risk-filled lives that make him look very big and very good. That because he's so good, I owe him a life of risky service. And it's the only way I'm going to make him look big is if I'm willing to lay my life on the line. Yeah. So God's revealing his goodness unto us so that when we get into these places, we remember who's encamped with us. Who's with us? The angel of the Lord. Who's that? Well, we can fast forward to New Testament. It's Jesus. Because in Jesus, the fullness of the Godhead dwells. He is the physical representation of the Father. I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. I don't do anything unless I've seen the Father do it. If you've seen me, seen the Father. So he's bringing them through this angel of the Lord paradigm. David is figuring out, wow, God is really, really good. So I can really, really trust him in really risky situations. In really hairy situations, I can really trust how good God is. Because that's what a good dad does. A good dad builds trust so that his sons can live risky lives to the best of their ability. Because how many of you know, if we don't live up to the best of our ability, then God doesn't get the glory. So if we don't trust God... That means we're going to live pretty mediocre lives. We're going to live safe lives. And I'm going to tell you right now, God didn't call us to safe. Show me in the Bible one guy that fully followed the Lord that was safe. It ain't in there, man. It ain't in there. Is It's a risky thing to follow God with all your heart. It's a risky thing to be obedient to the Holy Spirit at all times. But it's also a risky thing to not know how good God is because then it won't inform my courage that he's going to catch me when I fall. And that's what David found out. He found out, wow, everywhere I go, the angel of the Lord encamps about me. Well, if that's the case, then everywhere I go, God's already there. And the word camp there means that he stays. That God's not like that buddy. I got in a fight one time, and, and I look back. My Two buddies were with me, and I look back, and we me and this guy about tangled. This was before I was saved, okay? So we were about to tangle, and uh, I turn around, and those guys left me right there. And the one guy that stayed with me was a guy from Kentucky, John Stiles. Thank you if you're watching. He stayed with me, and I didn't know him. The ones that knew me left me, and the ones I didn't know stayed. We won't tell you how that ended, but... (laughs) You'll have to read my book in heaven to... Yeah. My tears you have captured in a bottle. Are they not in your book? I think that's Psalm 56.8, I think. 58.6. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, so... He figures out that everywhere he goes, God's with him. And not only is he with him, he won't leave. That no matter what the situation is, God's there. And I think that's where we mess up in the situations, is because we, we immediately, I'm talking about myself here, but we immediately want to go to why. And God is not interested in answering why. He goes to the whole book of Job, and the only question Job wants to know is why. The only answer, question his friends try to answer is why, and God just starts asking more questions. Right. Until Job lays in the dust, puts his hand over his mouth, and said, How dare I speak to God who never left me? That wow. the question that God wants to answer is, Where are you? And his answer, I'm here. That we would be more concerned with presence than anything else in our life. More than success. More than things working out. God, are you here? Oh, you're here. Okay. I'm good. God, this is danger. Oh, you're here. Okay. God, I can't do that. Oh, you're here. Oh, okay, you're here. Okay. You're here. Yeah. That God is more interested in presence. And when he begins to reveal himself to us as being good, we begin to walk in a bravery that's not our own. It's a bravery that knows God ain't going nowhere and he's got my back. It's why Peter can stand up in a room of people that just days earlier pinned Jesus to a cross and say, This Christ who you crucified. Has risen from the dead. And if you'll repent, he'll forgive you and you'll be saved. The same guy that wouldn't open his mouth into a girl preaches in front of 300 that probably yelled, Crucify him. And then you know what they say? How must we be saved? Man, I want to preach like that where I don't have to do an altar call. They say, Wait, shut up. How do I got to be saved? That's when you're getting somewhere. That's right. and bow your head. Okay, let's make it easy. Sit your hand up. All right. Now, if you stuck your hand up, stand up. Ask the person next to you. Would you stand? Hug oh, can you go with me? Uh, all... How must I be saved? Because I got to get in on what you're talking about. And when we start getting free, people will be wanting what we got. But you can't get free if you're still caught up in your circumstances and you're not tangled up in God. Still walking in a fence. Still bitter about this. Still mad about this. Still talking about this. Dude, you're wasting time. Get lost in him. Get tangled up in him. So it's like this. This is how we make God look good. Is when we get a hold of these truths. We can make them look big. We can make them look awesome. Because we begin to trust him. And so then we can stick our neck out for him. So it's like this. When... uh. When you're in a pool, or I'm in a pool, and then my daughter is on the side, and I'm like, jump. Nothing feels better when she takes off unabandoned and jumps off into my arms. Because that lets me know she trusts me. So not only does it make her look brave and good, it lets everybody in the room know she trusts dad. So his heart's filled with affection, her heart's filled with affection. And nothing feels worse when you can't talk your daughter into taking a risk with you. Because then you think, why doesn't she trust me? Because as a father, I see more ability in her than she can see in herself. And God can see more in us than we can ever see in ourselves. That's why he calls us to such great and beautiful sacrifice. That's why he's doing it. Because it fills his heart with affection when we jump into his arms. And it fills us with affection because we go, Yes, I trusted you in that moment and gave you glory. Yeah. So that's what David's finding out here. I can run off the diving board, and dad's going to catch me every time. So then, what scared you ends up becoming fun for you. And it becomes a lifestyle, not something you have to be talked into. Yeah, I love that too. It's just how good God is. So, I'm always calling my daughter into risk. Always. Do we have? We Got it. I want you to sell. Uh, this, this, is, this is not Parenting 101, okay? But these are just some proud moments when my daughter was four that I had. Um, I think we got it. Look at this hill. Look, she's pedaling and takes her feet off the dill's. She's four-year-old she's four with no training wheels. Wow. And yes, she didn't have a helmet either. I could hook some flack for that. <laughs> but she trusted. Oh, am I done already? Jeez, I thought I was... Okay. <laughs> but it I was such a proud moment. Why? Was there risk involved? Sure. But she trusted everything I told her to a T, that she actually enjoyed it. Now watch this. This she's she's four here. She's going to be six May ninth. She's going to be six on Mother's Day. Yeah, I don't know. We might be hung up there. Yeah. Oh, here she goes. She climbs up this deal. Oh wait, this isn't the one I thought it was. Anyway, she. There's another one. Okay. Yeah. So she's like this. She she just. I, I'm challenging her each time because I know what's in her. Look at that. If You go downtown and see how far apart those actually are. And she's got jelly shoes on. Again, I took some flack for some of this stuff. Yeah, mom's with the kids over there, so we're just going to rock on. But uh, our secret. But do you see... What I call her into, she trusts that I see the ability to carry it out beyond what she can even understand. And so the father's heart's filled with pride, and her heart gets filled with the accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. So why is God showing that he's good? So that you can just run around and talk about how good he is? No. (laughs) Please, stop doing that. Why don't you live a life that shows he's so good that people say, how are you able to live that kind of a life? Yeah. That, why, are you willing, why are you willing to go there to tell people about Jesus? Yeah. Well, Father's going to catch me. Come on. So and if he don't, I'm going to be with him in eternity. So I'll win either way. Yeah, I love that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, he said, what do they say? Whether he delivers us or not. (laughs) Man, come on. That's a sweet spot, man. (laughs) (laughs) Man, whether he delivers us or not. And then you see the fourth man in the fire. It's kind of like that. Oh, yeah, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who, yeah, that's right. But he's only visible when we jump in the fire. Isn't that odd? Yeah. Yeah. Lord, we just thank you, God, for your goodness. God, you're not just showing us how good you are so that we'll just live unimpressive, unrisk-filled lives. God, you're calling us to great risk because you're that good. And because you're that good, God, we embrace the risk of whatever you're calling us to. God in the lion's den will go because the angel of the Lord encamps around those who love you. God, the fiery furnace, yeah, will go because you encamp around those who love you. to the cross will go like you because you encamp around those who love you.